This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where each week we preview and review all the latest business and market stories with our very own Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. What an introduction there for you, Craig. How was it for you? Yeah, it was really good, really good. You're, you're such a professional. We try. I've been doing this for a while. Let's start with the two breaking news stories of the day, China's latest GDP figures, and we also had the UK retail numbers out a little bit earlier on. Uh, let's start with China, though. Uh, their economy grew at the slowest pace in three decades last year. That was down to weak consumer spending, rising unemployment, and, of course, the uh, country's trade war with the United States. Having said all that, actually, European equities have been up on those figures. Is that because the expectations were pretty low anyway? Yeah, I mean, this was bang in line with expectations. So in the last quarter, it, the, the economy grew by 6% quarter over a year, so compared to the quarter a year earlier. But over the course of the actual entire year, it grew 6.1%, which, as you say, is a, a pretty much a near three-decade low. But then this was all in line with expectations. We've been watching the economy slow down over the course of the year. We've seen plenty of weak data, which suggested that this is where we were heading for. So given that that met market expectations, it, it's kind of like water off a duck's back, ultimately. There's a lot of other data out there which really grabbed people's attention more, which suggests that maybe the economy's turning a bit of a corner. And given that we've already had a trade deal signed between the US and China this week, when you're seeing signs that an economy could be turning a corner at that juncture, then that's really encouraging. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not going to jump back to 8%, 9%, 10% growth that we were seeing a decade ago from China. But if we can maintain levels above 6% in the near term, maybe even push back towards the 6.5% levels, then that's seen as extremely encouraging, not just for the Chinese economy, but the global economy as well. Uh, it is the world's second largest economy, ultimately. Now, I still think there's obviously a few things we have to reference here. One is the fact that, yes, do you know what, the fixed asset investment, industrial production, retail sales were all stronger than expected. In fact, industrial production was far stronger than expected. So that was really encouraging. The flip side of this, though, is that this is just one month of data. So we need to see this repeated two or three times before we start to uh, really take it seriously. And the other thing as well is, yes, there is a phase one trade agreement with the US, but there's still a lot of tariffs still in place. So any idea that things are going to get dramatically better in the near term seem a bit far-fetched because as long as there's tariffs in place, there's still effectively a trade war. And as long as there's a trade war, the economy suffers. And we've had, what, two years? years of this trade war with the United States. Um, but as you say, there are hopes of a better relationship with America. And uh, there's been improvements in manufacturing and business confidence data. What do you think is going to happen next? So I think next, the, the, the talks are probably going to continue in the background, but on a, a far less frequent basis. We have to remember now that this is an election year. It, it was always quite uh, evident that, that Trump wanted to get something over the line uh, before the election. He wanted to go into the election with a deal, not in a trade war. And um, I think he wanted a full comprehensive agreement, but he hasn't managed to get one. So he settled for a phase one, which if you'd have asked him two years ago, will you ever settle for a phase one agreement? He would have said absolutely not. But obviously, would this 
the circumstances are such that we are in an election year and going in with a, with a phase one agreement is better than nothing because it means you've got 200 billion uh, of purchases uh, committed from China over the next couple of years um, in, covering various sectors including uh, agriculture including manufacturing etc so from his perspective selling that to his industrial base is extremely important so I think he'll still take that as a win uh, in, in terms of how meaningful it is it will have to wait and see I think it's going to give a little bit of a boost and it does remove some of the cloud of uncertainty but there's still a long way to go but I'm just still not convinced we're actually going to get there the tariffs remaining in place oddly for me are encouraging uh, in terms of it, it it's encouraging that we are potentially going to have these second round of talks it's not going to come prior to the election not in any form of intensity anyway I think this year could be relatively quiet on the trade front slowly but surely you may see Trump turning his attention to Europe but it'd be really risky business getting involved in a trade war with Europe when you're still technically involved in one with China during an election year but if, if you want to really test the economy I don't see the benefits of that from uh, from my perspective if Trump wants to turn his attention to Europe the best time to do this is at the end of the year rather than the start fascinating period though isn't it because we're sort of in a political and economic quagmire where there are so many causes and effects mm-hmm. within this scenario over the next what 10 11 months where it's anybody's guess as to how Trump will react because on the one hand he's got one eye on the economy on the other he's got his larger eye on the election and all the other aspects we've got Iran in the background mm-hmm. as well uh, the problems that we've got with uh, the, the Russia I mean it, it is an endless stream of decisions that he's going to make and he's going to have to think about it in terms of economics and politics. And this is what makes it so difficult to predict in many senses because Trump is not your typical politician. If you were talking about Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or one of these other characters who's been in the White House before him, uh, you would be saying, or or George Bush uh, for for, for for that sake, you'd be looking at this saying, it's an election year, they're not going to do anything crazy. Especially when you've got an economy where you've got the highest levels of, unempl- of employment that you've seen in decades, the extremely low levels of unemployment, growth at 25 to 3%. You're not going to do anything mad. You're going to say, do you know what? We, what we do is we let this year, just let it run smoothly. And if we manage this correctly, if, we, if, there's no, uh, if nothing goes horrendously wrong, if we don't make any huge mistakes, we're going into this election with stock markets at record highs, with unemployment at multi-decade, if not if not historic lows. Uh, it, uh, earnings are, are rising. Companies are performing well. It, you, you would struggle to see a scenario whereby Trump loses that election in that sense. Whereas if you start now picking fights with uh, Iran, and as we saw, obviously, the events of the start of this year, if you start a trade war with Europe and that affects the economy and that affects stocks, you're, it, it feels like a risk not worth taking. The flip side of that, as I keep saying, though, is Trump is not predictable. He's not your stereotypical politician. He may view things differently. And who am I to question the man who won the last election? Um, uh, and uh, therefore, he has a 100% record in this in these matters. But like I say, we'll have to wait and see. Before we talk about the UK retail figures, uh, which are just out, um, let's a, a quick word about the United States as we're on that theme. Uh, earnings, the latest data was strong, wasn't it? 
Yeah, so it's been it's been a bit of well, it's been a bit of a mixed bag week. I mean, obviously it is only the first week, so we've we've got to we've got to bear that in mind. It's mainly the banks that people are focused on this week. JP Morgan got us off to an incredible start. Um, Goldman Sachs was a little bit less encouraging, apart from on the trading side. Um, we've had uh, Wells Fargo, uh, Morgan Stanley, who have um, I, th- I believe have reported some decent earnings. And over the coming weeks, we'll hear from my colleague in New York, um, uh, Ed Moyer, who, uh, who, who who tracks this far more closely than I do who will be able to give us regular weekly updates on how earnings season is progressing but I think it's been off to a decent start the area of weakness that we're seeing in the UK economy right now is actually um, on the high street more so so it's the kind of Macy's these types of companies um, uh, Coles um, the, but then when you're looking at things like the retail sales figures which we're getting from the US and all the consumer activity figures they're all actually very strong so the question is how does that all, why is it that the high street's performing badly in these major outlets these uh, the, these well-known brands, massive uh, stores, at a time when the consumer is strong, and that suggests that we're going to when when we're looking at results from the WalMarts, from Amazon, uh, people who have these or this uh, this strong online presence, that the results may be is uh, a much much better. So yeah, while there is pockets of weakness in what we've uh, seen, there is certain strengths, and I think that's kind of going to kind of be this story of this earnings season. We've got to remember. Um, the data ahead of this uh, ahead of this season was that we were going to see an earnings contraction of two percent, the fourth conse- consecutive quarter of uh, an earnings contraction, an ongoing earnings recession before we bounce back into positive territory next year. While we may there may be possibility that we could actually just escape that, there is going to be an up and down season where we are going to have big winners and we're also going to have big losers. Let's talk retail in the United Kingdom then. You just mentioned the United States. British consumers failed to increase their spending in December for a record fifth month in a row and adding signs to of a weakening economy that may indeed prompt the Bank of England to cut interest rates uh, this month. Earlier on in the week, we had the latest inflation data. Uh, that's dropped 1.3%, down from 1.5% in November. There's all sorts of reasons for that, but obviously there is a concern uh, that the economy is faltering to such a degree that interest rates could be cut uh, back to the historic lows that we saw um, a a couple of years ago. Um, It looked very unlikely, something like 5% they were talking about for an interest rate cut a few days ago, but now it's something like 75%. Uh, what's your opinion? Yeah, it's. Uh, I believe uh, this time last week it was around five percent, and now currently today, at the time of recording, it is sixty-seven percent. So it's uh, and it has been higher, as you yeah. just alluded to uh, a couple of days ago. I think what we've got to remember, and this is almost a frustrating thing about this now. If we hadn't heard from policymakers, I would say this is the market's getting too carried away with weak pieces of data. We have to remember that this data covers November and December, uh, and I've said this over and over again. So apologies for anyone who's listened to the who's listened to the the business breakfast. But this the, this ultimately feels like going to the doctors for a health check on January the first. You're not going to be in the best condition, so to expect any decent results is probably a bit unnecessarily hopeful. It's pointless actually uh, to to a great extent getting a health check in your worst state. Well, the UK economy in November had enormous Brexit uncertainty, enormous political uncertainty because of that mid December general election therefore we are likely to see a bit of a, a bit of a weakening and a bit of a softening uh, in the economy during those months so and the actually, fact that we're... we we've seen a bit of a boris boost haven't we in the last uh, few weeks which uh, maybe hasn't uh, been seen in those retail figures for december 
but there is a bit more confidence around at the moment because of that election result, because of the certainty aspect. Yeah, and it seems insane to think that we're not going to have seen a bit of a drag as a result of all that uncertainty. So yeah. now, granted, the Brexit uncertainty hasn't entirely passed. There is still potential for a WTO Brexit at the end of this year, but that's a huge amount of uncertainty that's passed as a result of getting this deal over the line. The political uncertainty has passed us by now. We've got a massive majority for the Conservative Party in common, so there's a parliament that can actually start to get things done. So it's that that's a, a huge amount of uncertainty that's passed, and to believe for a second that all of that doesn't have an impact on people's spending behaviour and on co- company performance, business performance, all of these things seems a bit strange. So to be talking about cutting interest rates suddenly at the end of this month, it, again, it seems very strange to me because it feels like we're just getting carried away with a piece of data from an unreliable period. Yeah. The other flip side of that as well, though, is that we've also heard from various policymakers who seem to be um, adding fuel to the fire in a, in a, in a way, suggesting that there's no, if there's no improvement in the economic data, then they will favour an interest rate cut. Uh, and I again, this is something I find very strange because we've just gone through a year when there's been plenty of weakness in the economic data, plenty of weakness in the economy, plenty of weakness in other economies. In the global economy, we've seen downward revisions throughout the course of the year. We've seen other central banks from the Federal Reserve to the ECB to the RBA and on cutting interest rates, restarting quantitative easing, and the Bank of England stood still because they didn't want to, uh, they clearly didn't want to be cutting rates when they may have to cut them more dramatically in the event of a hard Brexit. Well, now that we've passed through that uncertainty, to just jump straight on the cutting bandwagon seems a bit strange. Why not give it a couple of months and see if the economy naturally bounces back a bit because of that uncertainty has improved. Ultimately, a 25 basis point cut is going to make absolutely no difference to this economy at this moment in time, but you're using the very little ammunition you've got left if there is a more severe downturn at a time when you've got very little evidence that the, the, the situation isn't going to improve on its own. But having said all that, ignoring the retail figures, what about that inflation rate? 1.3%. There'll be people out there who will be calling for a rate cut just to control that. Otherwise, we could get into a situation where we might have deflation. So we the inflation rate dropped to 1.3%. On core inflation, it dropped to 1.4% from one7 More often than not, when you see a sharp decline like that from one month to the next, that's a one-off uh, fact that that's not necessarily a more ingrained uh, pattern. That doesn't mean that but we're going to see 0.9%. The trend is down. The trend it? is mildly down, but if you if you strip out this month, it's actually extremely consistent around the 1.7% mark for much of the last six, seven or eight months. So we, that one dip, I think reading too much into one-off pieces what, of data... What is, happened to the target, though, the 2%? The 2%, I mean, the 2% target is a rough target. It's there or thereabouts that you're looking at. If you've got running inflation at 1.7%, to be cutting interest rates just seems like you're trying to micromanage the situation far too much. The trend this flat uh, around that 1.7% mark. Don't get me wrong, if you see a two more months where we've got 1.4% or less, then by all means, that makes sense because that suggests that you are seeing a pattern forming. But one off and one off piece of data doesn't suggest a pattern to me. You wait and see if it bounces back organically as the economy improves, which you would expect a bit of a bounce in the aftermath of all the election and Brexit uncertainty, and then you cut. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a Bank of England policymaker, I'm not as qualified as these people, and I'll probably be proven to be wrong should they cut interest rates later this month. I feel like this is a situation whereby policymakers and markets are getting a little bit carried away from short-term effects. And if they truly believe that an interest rate cut is warranted, then they should have been taking it more seriously last year. Okay, let's look ahead to next week briefly. We've got plenty of central bank action, Bank of Japan, Bank of Canada and ECB. Yeah, so we're not expecting any changes on this front. All of these central banks are expected to hold part for now. And... um, 
it, it's just going to be interesting to see how uh, how they perceive things for the current for the coming year. Bank of Canada uh, has been very quiet up until this point. Bank of Japan at one point looked uh, nailed on to be cutting interest rates, and markets were heavily pricing it in. But that's very much changed now over the last couple of months. They're they're expected to stay still for for the entirety of this year. And even when you get towards the back end of this year, the interest rate probabilities are pretty even in terms of a rate hike or a rate cut. So that suggests that there is uh, a steady she goes path. ECB it's still too soon, but again it's just going to be interesting to see what the Lagarde's uh, and uh, her team's assessment is of how the economy is uh, is is doing and what impact previous previous policy pledges are have are having. Obviously, next week we've also got Davos. The are you going this time? I'm not going. There the was invites, but um, unfortunately, <laughs> that uh, that wasn't uh, it. Wasn't to be. Let's be uh, honest. You've never been invited, Craig. I I I I get regular invites. <laughs> I get regular invites. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's to be honest. I mean, it's it's one of those events where yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of um, I'm sure there's a lot of important conversations. Do you that think take it has less luster than it used to? There's there, there seems to be, um, apart from the controversy about Davos over the last few years, uh, being part of it, there seems to it doesn't seem quite as important as it used to maybe ten fifteen years ago. Well, I, I, I still think there's still think there's probably a lot of conversations that take place between business leaders and uh, and and the likes the yeah. the on on the sidelines. So the, it probably is still just as important from that sense. But I think it's just that social attitudes have changed towards it. It's gone from being a place where the the leaders of the world effectively meet up, discuss, and have conversations, uh, attend seminars, attend panel discussions, blah blah blah. To oh, it's just this uh, event full of elites in yeah. the mountains. They almost make um, it out to be something sinister, don't they? Yeah, I mean they don't help themselves, right? They, I mean, they they hold it at a very expensive place in the mountains where they can go skiing and things. It's they're they're very much living up to the the the. The, the model that's been placed upon yeah. them, if that makes Exception, sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it does, they don't really help themselves, but it is always a relatively interesting week. I'm not sure if it's going to be very relatively market moving. And then there's also a lot of data again next week. So we've got UK labour market data, which will add to the picture we've been built up over the course of this week. We've got PMIs towards the back end of the week as well. So it's going to be far from uh, far from a boring week, I would say. And of course, we've still got plenty of corporate stories as well from the earnings from earnings season, which will continue to ramp up uh, more domestically. Things like the Flybe story. Uh, has been very prevalent over the course of this week. I'm sure we'll continue to hear more on that, especially given the backlash that there's been from the likes of uh, British Airways and Ryanair and EasyJet um, against the government's decision to effectively bail, uh, bail tricky, the airline out. Tricky one, that one, isn't it? Because there's a, a political ramification. It's not like the Thomas Cook situation where... Uh, the, the UK government decided not to bail them out because maybe it was chasing you know, good money after bad. But this is more to do with the fact that we've had this election where people are talking about uh, the regions of this country and making sure that they are um, look, looked after properly and there are transport links. And this is what this is about. This is about routes internally with the United Kingdom, right? Very, very important to the economy, both politically and economically. But then you go back to the political and what, what what political argument is there bigger right now globally than climate change and you're t- we're, we're talking well, about a government that's looking to potentially scrap HS2 and save an airline that only flies domestically on routes that trains could solve. You tried driving solve. down to Newquay recently? It's well, that's a, a but that's, I mean, the, 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 when, when you're talking about scrapping HS2 which was meant yeah, to improve yeah. the network connections on a greener scale within the UK and you're looking at doing so in favour of uh, supporting an airline which has been failing for many years 
you can understand why it's uh, proving quite controversial. All and right. then obviously you've also got the state sub the state subsidised uh, argument, which is what effectively well, these it, other it, companies it, are going after. It isn't after. a state subsidy though, it just, is it? Well, I mean, it depends how you're looking at it. The, 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 the government is stepping in to keep the company afloat without the government's intervention. The company... For, uh, the, They're the deferring the, the tax payment, really. That, that, that's it, really. Yeah, but uh, that, that, that is seen by BA and others as preferential treatment um, in order to try and save the right, company. Okay. So from that perspective, it's in a state, uh, state intervention. Who, who's um, going to take those routes if Flybe goes down there? Ryanair? Maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe that's... You see, if, if, for instance, a Ryanair said, OK, we'll take all those slots and um, therefore the, those regions will be serviced... You could perhaps say the government's, you know, got less of a point. But if they'll just take the slots that are making a bit of money, then we we do need those uh, particular oh, yeah. areas. But, but that's that's even more argument once again for why is it taking so long to make big infrastructure decisions in the UK, and why is it when we're looking at options that don't include air, air travel, for example, when we're looking at options along on the ground, why these decisions are taking so long? And after many many oh. many years now, it seems of planning, of discussions, of debates, of everything, uh, we're then looking to scrap it all together and just stick with what we've got effectively. Again, it's a broader discussion, uh, but it, it, I think from a political, Tricky. it's a politically sensitive one at a time when climate change is such a massive, uh, a massive okay. story. Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. Have a very good week. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.